Tony Kirk. God bless you. Open hearts, tender hearts, receptive hearts. Father, we thank you for a great night of of improvement and enhancement in what you've already built into our lives. Let us grow another level tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Pastor Marvin, that is one of the nicest introductions I've ever had. Thank you very much. And Miss Patty, thank you. Uh, for your hospitality and um, we Lisa and I have been traveling full-time for 17 years as of May and uh, I think this is the first time I've ever been way out east of Dallas I've been all over and I've been down in Victoria I don't know how far we are from Victoria long way okay so I yeah I think Texas is kind of big isn't it it's kind of spread out so uh, been West Texas South Texas North Texas but this is my first time out east so it's a real privilege uh, to be with you um, for those that don't know um, Lisa and I were on staff at Rama for 18 and a half years and before that I was on staff at another church for three and a half and so I had about 22 years of ministry experience that was all what we call supportive. I've never been a senior pastor, just so you'll know. To this day, I've never been a senior pastor. I've always been an assistant, a helper. And so I tend to see things from that angle a little bit. And I recognize the enormous value, like Pastor Marvin was saying, that yes, we absolutely need the key leaders, but boy, without the help and the support and the partnership and the teamwork, you know, they are so limited in what they can get done. But you surround them with good leaders, good helpers, and there's no limit to the potential. So we're going to talk a lot about teamwork. When we talk about Timothy, um, you know, what he's really famous for, if you ask the average Christian, if they just know, you know, a moderate amount of Bible, they'll say, oh yeah, he helped Paul. That he was Paul's helper. And I think it's great that the Bible doesn't just introduce us to the key people like Paul, but we learn about the people that helped them and the teamwork and all that that was involved. And so, but what we really want to do is we really want to present what we're going to be sharing tonight in search of Timothy. Um, and my wife always reminds me, don't forget the ladies. So and when I say Timothy, you can also say Timothina. Um, because there's all kinds of women helpers in the Bible too, you know, not just, you know, the, the male helpers, but you had, you know, Phoebe and Paulus, many, and, and the, the women that helped financially support Jesus and so many, uh, important, uh, ladies in the Bible as well. But I want this to be really solidly biblically grounded Uh, Because what I want to do is communicate to you what the Bible really communicates as a consistent pattern, really all the way from the very earliest pages of the Bible all the way through the New Testament. And um, we have a handout here for you. And I know they're going to be putting some of the things on the screen as well. But I believe that there is a distinct pattern in the Bible that when God wants to accomplish something in the earth, have you ever heard people say, well, we just never know what God is going to do. 
you know, God is so mysterious and God is, you know, we don't know what God is going to do. And I would contend just the opposite. God's very predictable. Uh, because, and, and if he didn't want us to know him and his will and his ways, then why did he give us a Bible? that traces and tracks his activities, you know, as far back as we could even begin to think. And if God didn't want us to know him and his will and his ways, why did he send Jesus to demonstrate? And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if if God didn't want us to know his ways, then uh, why did God give us the Holy Spirit to teach us all things and to guide us into all truth and and so on. So I believe that church really is simple uh, in in its foundational uh, form. What God wants to do through his people is is very simple and, and foundational. So I believe there are four things that happen whenever God wants to do something in the earth. And I think you see this time and time and time and time again. The first thing that God does when he wants to do something in the earth is he raises up a leader. He always starts with a leader. One person said it this way, for God so loved the world that he did not send a committee. <laughs> now, I, please understand, teamwork has a place and we'll get to teamwork, but it never starts with teamwork just doesn't start there. Uh, You have to get there eventually, but it always starts with a single person, a single leader. That's how God's always done things. He starts with Adam. He starts with Noah. He starts with Abraham. He starts with Moses, with David, with Gideon, with Nehemiah, with Deborah, with Esther, uh, with Paul. God always starts with a leader. One guy said, he said, you know, I've traveled all over the nation, all over the world, and, and he said, I've been to parks everywhere. He said, I have never seen a statue erected to a committee. But you'll see statues erected to leaders, people that came and made a difference. And, and, and another person said this, you never see a statue Uh, devoted, dedicated to somebody based on what they received, you always see a statue to someone based on what they gave. A lot of lessons in that. But the first thing that God does whenever he wants to do something in the earth, he raises up a leader. Number two, and again, this is so simple that nothing I'm going to say today I don't think is very complicated. It's all simple. The second thing that God does is he gives that leader an assignment. Now, we can use a lot more spiritual terms than that. A mission, a vision, um, and a, you know, a ministry, a calling. All those words would be fine. But I think sometimes when the more spiritual the word we use, the, the more it becomes mystical instead of like, you know, let, let's think about some of the assignments that God gave people. Noah, build a boat. You can call that a vision, a ministry, a calling, whatever. But I just, I just like to call it an assignment. He told Abraham to take a journey. Go to a land where I'm going to show you. Um, he told Moses, what was Moses' assignment? Go tell Pharaoh, 
let my people go. It's an assignment. Uh, he told uh, Nehemiah to Nehemiah build a wall around the city of Jerusalem. Uh, he, he told Paul, Paul, I want you to go preach the gospel and plant churches. And write some letters while you're at it, you know. Uh, assignments. When God wants to do something in the earth, he, he raises up a leader. Number two, he gives the leader an assignment. Now, number three is very important. It's a very important part of the process. Number three, the leader panics. That is step number three. The leader panics. Um, Moses is probably one of our clearest examples of this. Um, when God told Moses, you know, he'd had a big failure 40 years earlier when he killed the Egyptian and all that. And God says, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to tell him, let my people go. And, you know, Egypt at that time was the greatest empire of the world. I was in Egypt last August and seeing the pyramids and seeing the things in the Cairo Museum. Wow, it, they were impressive. Uh, it, was, it was amazing, the wealth and the power of Egypt at that time. And um, when God told Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and set my people free, Moses didn't say, yes, Lord, and what else can I do for you? <laughs> Moses started stuttering and saying, God, I, 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 who, who am I? Um, I, I, I don't speak very well. Uh, they, they won't believe me. And he started offering excuse after excuse. You know, we talked about Abraham. God raised him up. And first, you know, and, and here's one where a leader had different stages of assignments. Um, his first assignment was to leave where he lived and traveled to a new land. But then later came this assignment, you're going to be a father of many nations. And so that obviously involved his wife, Sarah, right? So many times God uses husbands and wives together. And so Sarah's a part of this equation too. That assignment definitely involved her. And when she heard the angel explaining that, what did she, yes, be it unto me according to your word. No, she laughed. She laughed. And you know what she said? In essence, she said, I'm too old. And Jeremiah, when he got called, you know, he's another leader that God raised up. You know what Jeremiah said? I'm too young. What about Gideon? When God raised Gideon up, he's one of the other, you know, God raised Gideon up. And Gideon, oh my gosh, he was so full of inferiority. You know, if, if, if you had a good Bible dictionary that had the word inferiority complex in it, it would have Gideon's picture. Right now, when God said, Gideon, I'm going to use you to deliver my people from the hand of the Midianites. Gideon said, God, I, I'm the least in my family. And, and, and our tribe, I mean, we're the, we're the smallest tribe in all of Israel. You know, Gideon had this massive inferiority complex. Isaiah, when God called Isaiah, Isaiah said, God, I'm a man of unclean lips. You know, he didn't feel worthy. Um, Peter, when, when Jesus encountered Peter, Peter said, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful man. Even Paul. 
Paul said, uh, I am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And, but then he said, but by the grace of God, I am. So, uh, but here's the point. Can you see the pattern? I mean, I, I just think it's absolutely everywhere in the Bible. When God wants to do something, number one, he raises up a leader. Number two, he gives the leader an assignment. You know, none of these people were told to do the same thing. You know, Abraham wasn't told to build an ark. You know, and Moses wasn't trying to deliver Israel from the Midianites. And, you know, they all had different assignments and things like that. You know, I appreciate the fact that there's so many churches and different pastors represented here and things of that nature because God has different assignments for each one of us. And, uh, but, but what the pattern that we see in the Bible is this God raises up a leader, He gives that leader an assignment, and number three, that leader will panic. If you read theological books and things like that, they, will, they won't use the word panic. They will say, and the leader went through a crisis of faith, <laughs> you know, which is you know, a nice way to say it, that he panicked. And, um, but then thank God there aren't just three things that happen. There are four things that happen. And the fourth thing that happens when, after the leader panics is that God answers. And you know, it's, it, honestly, it's really a good thing that the leader panics because if God, you know, let's say, for example, that God told Moses, Moses, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses said, God, you, of course I'll do that. I, I, and I think it's amazing, God, that you had such good discernment to choose me. Because certainly, God, no one is more qualified than me, no one more intelligent than me. Man, if anybody can do it, God, I can do it. You don't, see, you don't see anybody in the Bible acting that way. Because when God really reveals himself, he is so awesome, it's very humbling. And usually God asks people to do things that they can't do in their own strength anyway. Because if any of these people did act that way when God called, God really couldn't use them. Because if they did it and were successful, they would be taking all the glory. You know, the Bible talks about God choosing the weak things and the foolish things. So when you tell people you're called by God, just realize what you're telling them. Um, but God answers. When the, when the leaders panic, God answers. And his answer is twofold, like heads and tails on a coin. And the first is, um, I will be with you. In other words, God is saying... You don't have to do this in your own strength, in your own wisdom, uh, in your own ability. I will be with you. I will empower you. I will give you my spirit. I will give you the words to speak. I will give you wisdom and so on. One thing that God makes clear to every spiritual leader is you don't have to do this alone. I'm not asking you to do something for me. What God is really saying is, I want to do something through you. I just need you to cooperate. You know, you're going to be involved, you're going to participate, but, but this isn't just you out doing something for me. You and I are going to be a team in this. You and I are going to be partners in this. And how many times do we see people, you know, I mean, even Jesus, which I understand in one sense, Jesus is in a unique class 
But stop and think about this. Even Jesus didn't depend on his own personal abilities. And if anybody could have, he could have. But what did Jesus say? I can of mine own self do nothing. I'm just here to do what my father says for me to do and so on. And we read in Acts 10.38 how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good. So nobody's called to do it in their own strength. Moses wasn't, Noah wasn't, Abraham wasn't, David wasn't, Gideon wasn't, Nehemiah. None of them were called to do it in their own strength. In one way or another, God always told them, I will be with you. That's kind of the spiritual side of the equation, the supernatural side of the equation. But you know what? There's a very natural side of the equation as well. And the other thing that God always told people was not only will I be with you, but the next part of this, I will provide others to help you. I will provide others to help you. Now this is, and I don't even love the term committee, but I like the word team. This is where we now begin to see the team become important. God start, here, here's another way to say it. God always starts with a leader, but he always finishes with a team. He always starts with a leader, but he always finishes with a team. So what are some of the teams that we see in the Bible? Well, Moses had Joshua. Remember how much Joshua helped helped Moses? God had Joshua. Moses had Joshua, Aaron, Hur, and the elders. You know, Aaron and Hur were the two that held up Moses' arms when he got tired, you know, one on each side and held his arms up until, you know, the Israelites could get victory. Um, David had Jonathan and his mighty men. You know, David, we see, when people think of David, what's the first story that people think about? David and Goliath, yeah. And, um, you know, that was just David as a young guy going out there and defeating the giant and nobody helping him except God. And and we love that story. I think, I, I think, well, I started to say as Americans, but I think Texans are even worse. Or better, better. Texans are even better. You know, this rugged, I can do it. Do you know what I'm talking about? In one sense, that's a good thing. Because it's good to have a rugged individualism. Man, I can do it. But on the other hand, if we're thinking I can do it without God, that's not a good thing. But David had that. Maybe he was partly from Texas. I don't know. But but he his attitude was just let me at this giant and things like that. But did you know, yeah, David had one battle that we know of there where it was just him doing it without any help from any other person. But did you know if you study the life of David, he didn't do that a lot. He got surrounded by his mighty men. And, 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 and God did most of what he did through David not just through David as an individual like when he defeated Goliath, but God did most of what he did through David, through David and the mighty men working together as a team. So David had Jonathan, he had the mighty men. Elijah had Elisha. Jesus had the 12. Paul had Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, Luke, etc. And so we see time and again that 
God always starts with a leader, but he always finishes with a team. What, what are we to make of the fact that this pattern exists all through the Bible? And yet, did you know that there are churches, and I believe none of your churches are like this, but did you know there are churches all over the country that, that they don't understand this, and they just think, well, we just pay our pastor to do everything. We just, you know, pastor's supposed to do all the praying. Pastor's supposed to do all this. Pastor's supposed to, you know, anybody need encouragement? Pastor's supposed to encourage them. Do you know what the Bible teaches us is that the pastor, along with other ministry gifts, but the pastor is residential within the local church. The pastor is there to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Not to do everything himself, but to equip the saints and, and really to, to lead, but part of that leadership is facilitating the teamwork, just like God raised up all these teams. You know, Joshua and Aaron and her and Miriam and the elders and the tabernacle builders and all these different ones, they weren't there to sit back and watch Moses do everything. They were there to work under Moses' supervision. And so this is really what I see as a great principle of the Bible. Here is a concept, just summed up in this statement, good leadership doesn't work, at least not to its maximum potential, without good followership. It takes, it takes good followers I, I, I'm not even sure that followership is an actual word that you'll find in the dictionary. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But it's sure a biblical concept. And see, we see in the Bible, for example, um, you all have heard of churches that have big splits and, you know, big things. You know, you know, those are nothing new. God had a split. One-third of the angels defected and followed Lucifer. See, God's a good leader, but Lucifer wasn't a good follower. In John chapter 6, the Bible said Jesus preached a sermon that irritated everybody. Do you know one person said this, the job of a preacher is to comfort the troubled and to trouble the comfortable. And in John chapter 6, Jesus preached one of those sermons that upset everybody. And there were so many people leaving Jesus' ministry that Jesus turned to the 12 and said, do you want to leave also? So this thing of, of you know, great leaders having people get upset and leave is nothing new. God had it. Jesus had it. You know, that type of thing. But it's not that they weren't being good leaders at the time. It's that others didn't know how to be good followers. And that's one of the reasons why one of the very, well, the second book I wrote when I stepped away from Raymond began traveling in 2002 was In Search of Timothy was because I, I was associated with lots and lots of pastors, knew, you know, I'd taught them in Bible school. I had been the director of Rama's Ministerial Association. I knew, I knew and know hundreds and hundreds of pastors. And literally all of them are like Pastor Marvin talking about going to seminars. And pastors are always you know, reading books, CDs, praying. You know, God, how can I be a better leader? But leadership alone doesn't get the job done. 
leadership has to be combined with followership and partnership. See, that's why Jesus was always trying to bring his team up by teaching them, coaching them, sending them out on little assignments to learn and then giving them feedback. Jesus was always trying to bring the team up in its abilities and commitments and attitudes and things like that because Jesus knew that, yeah, he had things to do as an individual leader, but that ultimately it was going to take the whole team working together to get the job done. So let's look at a verse, Philippians chapter 2. This verse, uh, I became an assistant pastor in 1980. Uh, I was 20, help me Lisa, I was 21 years old, wasn't I? When I became an assistant pastor. Um, I was asking Pastor Marvin ahead of time because I know we're in a part of Texas that's really rich and a lot of, Brother Hagen pastored in Van and I don't know where else around here, but R.W. Shambach and a lot, you know, Tulsa has some, you know, kind of rich ministerial heritage. The church where I started as an assistant pastor is the church that Oral Roberts got his beginning at as a healing evangelist. Um, long story short, but, um, and so I'm a 21-year-old kid. I have one year of Bible school. And this church that I was a part of, not all, or it was the church that Oral Roberts was a member of for many, many years. It's the church where he held his first healing revival in Tulsa after he left his church in Enid, Oklahoma. And it's the, it was the meeting that launched him into, into national notoriety, fame. And uh, so here I am. It's a church of 1,800 members. I'm 21 years old. The pastor's asking me to help him. And um, I, I really felt that insecurity that we talked about earlier. I wasn't the senior guy, but you know, you don't have to be the senior person to feel insecure. And I'm thinking, man, a lot of these people in this church, they've been spirit-filled twice as long as I've been alive. You know, they've been walking with God. They've seen all the great evangelists and ministries that have come through Tulsa and all that. And, and man, this pastor's giving me this opportunity. And, and so I really, um, I began to pray and ask God, Lord, show me how to be a good assistant. Show me how to be a good helper. And Timothy became kind of my role model. And so I began studying not only First and Second Timothy, the letters where Paul talked to Timothy about how to be a great helper, but I also began reading other places where Timothy was mentioned. And one of those is in Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at that together. Paul, it, well, let's find out where Paul is. Philippi, anybody know where Philippi is? It's in northern Greece. I was just preaching in Victoria a week ago Wednesday, and the pastor uh, got up and mentioned that when he first got saved and he saw the letter to the Philippians, he thought that was the Philippines. And he, really, and he said he thought the book of Job was a book about how to get a job. So, you know, I know you would never think that kind of thing, but Philippi was a city in northern Greece, and when Paul wrote this letter, he was in Rome in prison. He's in another country. 
And Paul, because his ministry was different, his was very apostolic. So he was starting churches on different continents and different countries and things like that. And then he would get the church kind of, you know, just up and running. And then many times he'd get run out of town, but this group of believers is still there and they need encouragement, nurturing. And Paul was always concerned. You know, I've started this church. I got beat up, run out of town. So I'm writing letters back to these believers trying to help them continue to stay faithful and stay on track. And uh, But Paul was concerned about it. And so he's in prison in Rome and he's, he's concerned about the church in Philippi. So he's writing this letter to encourage them. But notice what he says, Philippians 2.19. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state or know your condition. So here's what Paul is saying. I'm really concerned about you and I'm sending you a letter right now, but I'm hoping to send Timothy to you. So what do we know about Timothy from this? Timothy was Paul. He was going to be Paul's representative Sometimes he was like there in Rome helping Paul while he's in prison, but then sometimes he's going to go out on assignment. Some people think that if you're a Timothy to your pastor, that you're just always right there with your pastor all the time. But the truth of the matter is many times Timothy was sent out on assignments. Um, he went out, and this is very important, he went out as Paul's representative. He would go places that Paul couldn't go, meet with people that Paul couldn't meet with. You know, Paul had this horrible limitation in life. He was only one person. He could only be in one place at one time. So he needed helpers. He needed people who could do things that, you know, he wanted to do, but he couldn't do his people who could go out and represent him. And notice he, he said that I may be encouraged when I, uh, what do he say? When I know your state. So here's the thing. Not only was Timothy going to go out to the Philippians and minister to them and encourage them on Paul's behalf, but then he was going to come back to Paul and he was going to give Paul a report. Some people think that when their pastor gives them an assignment, well, that's just my area. I just own that now. But no, the pastor wants a report on that area because he's not giving you that assignment to take off and run away with it. He, he's trusting you to be his representative in that. And then he's going to want, he's going to want reports back. How's this area going? You know, for, for Timothy, it was go to Philippi and, you know, give me a report back. For in other cases, it may be go to the nursery and bring me back a report on how the little babies are doing and what are the toddlers learning. And, you know, you're going to the prison. Bring us a report back from the prison about, you know, how this Bible study is going there. You know, it's, it's this accountability, this reporting back. And notice what Paul says. Verse 20 is a very interesting statement. For I have no one like-minded. I have no, and, and actually in the Greek, I think it's I have no one else. Paul had a shortage of helpers. 
Paul had a shortage of people that he could depend on and count on. It's not that there weren't people, it's that there was no one else who was like-minded. That word like-minded is very interesting. If you skip down past the scripture, there's a little blank a line there. It says, the word like-minded comes from two Greek words meaning equal soul. That means that Timothy shared, doesn't mean that Timothy had the same personality as Paul, because they really didn't. They had different personalities. Paul was a real strong, bold. Timothy tended to be more, you know, softer, uh, gentler, that type of thing. Um, They didn't necessarily have the exact same spiritual gifts even, but they did have the same heart. They had the same attitude. They had the same approach to loving the Philippians. Paul said, I have no one else like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own. All seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Do you know what separates a Timothy or a Timothina from the average church member? I I don't say this critically, I don't say this to be, you know, denigrating, but the average person that walks into a church on Sunday morning has one question in their mind, what's in this for me? I hope the pastor shares a message that will encourage me. Hope the pastor has a good word that will bless me. Boy, I hope they sing the songs that I like today. You, it, please don't misunderstand me, but but Paul said everybody else seeks their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. And and if you go down again below the scriptures, um, according to Paul, the thing that separated Timothy from everyone else is that he was not self-seeking. And there's another line there: the counterfeit Trinity is me, myself, and I. Paul said, all seek their own. That's the reason I only have one person I can really depend on, count on. Um, There's only so many people I can trust the way I trust Timothy. He's the only one I can give this kind of responsibility to because everybody else is just seeking their own. And he says this then. He says, for you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. He served with me in the gospel. Isn't that something? See, a lot of people, you know, you ask Christians, are you serving God? Oh, yeah, I serve God. Well, who are you serving God with? And, and for a lot of people, I don't really serve God with anybody else. I'm, I'm kind of an independent agent. I just kind of serve God on my own. Well, God really designed it, you know, how many scriptures are there about the body of Christ? You know, we work together, we work in partnership, we work in teamwork. And that's that's really the biblical model that we're trying to hold up as we look at people like Timothy. Let me show you one other scripture, 2 Timothy 4.11, and then we're going to take a break in just a minute. When I first became an assistant pastor in August of 19... Yeah, it was 80, August of 1980. 
um, this is a scripture that really helped me. I, I, when I became an assistant pastor, and please understand, you don't have to be an assistant pastor by title to have a Timothy, uh, Timothy's heart. No, people who have no title, no position, can still have a Timothy's heart to serve. But people in position sure need a Timothy's heart. But, but you know, this just became the, the reason because of the panic that I felt. God, I want to be a good assistant. I really want to be able to help this pastor. 2 Timothy 4.11, I read this where Paul said, uh, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. When I read it, I was reading from the regular King James, which says, get Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And I said, God, if Mark could be profitable to Paul, then maybe you could make me profitable to the pastor that I worked for. And I began, and we'll pick up with this when we come back, but I began a study on what are all the traits that will make a person profitable to their pastor. And here's a thought. If a person can be profitable to their pastor, guess what? They can be unprofitable to their pastor. So my prayer at that point began to be, Lord, make me profitable to the pastor that I work for. Make me useful, beneficial to the pastor that I work for. And help me be a positive part of the team. You know, help me use whatever gifts you've given me. You know, by your grace and ability, let me use those to supplement, complement, uh, you know, add value to the team. And, um, and, and so we're going to pick up with that when we come back. Can I show you three pictures real quick before we take a break? Um, the first picture that we have... I just handed them to these guys right before the service. So, but I just wanted to tell you a quick little bit about. Oh, right behind me. There you go. Um, the first picture. Those are the countries that I've been privileged to preach in over the years. Um, I've been in 31 nations and um, and 47 states. I've not yet been to Maine, although I'm supposed to preach there this year. And I have not preached yet in Vermont or Delaware. So hopefully we'll. I don't know if God cares if I preach in all 50 states or not, but I, to me it just sounds cool to say, but it's probably, probably not real high on his agenda. But anyway, but these are the countries that I've preached in, and you know we've been blessed to be in a lot, and I've taught this seminar, I've taught this material in a lot of these nations as well. The next picture are, these are the books that we have. on The stack on the right are the English books, uh, the stack on the left are the books in other f- languages. Um, we have books now in in Chinese. We just came out with our first book in Chinese a few weeks ago, Mandarin. Um, Arabic, we have four books in Arabic. Um, Indonesian, Russian, Greek, Spanish, Portuguese, French, and German. So those are the books that we have in other languages. And then the final picture, I wanted to show this to you just so you'll know what we have out there. Uh, these are our, our books in English. They're all out on the table right as you walk out uh, in the lobby. I'm teaching from In Search of Timothy. And uh, what I'm teaching today is probably going to be 10% of what's actually in the book. Um, we'd be here forever and ever if we tried to teach all of it. And the, the other books, Life After Death, Helping People Who've Lost a Loved One, 
Um, the book next in search of Timothy, God's dream team is also about teamwork. For, for I'm saying this especially for the pastors that are here. Um, for six of the eight books, if you want small group curriculum uh, where you can take your team of, of workers, whether they're paid or volunteer or whatever, and sit down with them and take them through studies uh, to help get them on the same page with you in leadership and teamwork and servanthood. We have six of our books have video curriculum out there on little USB drives. And for Timothy, we, we not only have the Timothy book, but we also have a workbook. And the workbook goes with the video series on Timothy. It's, it's actually 14 uh, 28-minute lessons. So I'm really sharing that for the benefit of the visiting pastors. If you want to look at some of that material uh, relative to having small group curriculum for your church. So we're going to take a quick, a 10-minute break, I believe it is.